Welcome to the Orion Podcast with Jessa and Laurel. In this episode, we connect with Diana Lowe. She is an emotional intelligence coach for businesses. She's passionate about transforming leadership in the tech industry where emotional intelligence can have a huge impact on the quality of life and business performance. We enjoyed sharing stories and practical pro tips for expanding your self-awareness, knowing when to speak up for culture, and communicating authentically. Speaking of which, you'll see how our communications were tested at first and how we managed to come out the other side. Enjoy. Hey, Laurel. Hey, Jessa. Who's our guest today? Today Besides we have Diana Lowe. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, the trolley going by. Choo-choo. Um, we got Diana Lowe. Thank you for joining us. Yay. And Jessa, Yay. how are we connected with Thank her? Thank you, Diana. Thank you. Uh, so... Diana is a fellow member of Hera Hub, and we have spoken before on this podcast about Hera Hub is um, like a female-focused co-working space and community, and Diana and I met on a call. Like, there's a lot of awesome um, virtual events to connect everybody across mm-hmm. the offices and especially during COVID, and there's a lot of networking resources, and we were in a, I don't know, a sub hub. I mix up the names all the time. I know, right. it was sales or... Yeah, yeah, it was about sales and like proposal writing and pricing, which is great. And I met Diana and we were in like a, a breakout room and I was like, oh, I was like, like I want to know you. And there's a few other people I'm like, well, first of all, I want to know everybody. Sorry, to, if anyone's listening. We do, we do. But um, so anyway, we connected <laughs> and we got to talking. We're like, hey, let's come on the podcast. And yeah, here we are. Thank you so much. Yay. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is exciting. Like I said, this is my first podcast. So yay, thank you for yay. being easy with me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I honor honor you for showing up for yourself today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And so, Diana, can you, um, you know, what? obviously we've had the benefit of talking to you and, you know, what you do is leadership development and coaching. And so, can you give us kind of a background, just high level, what your services are, and then, um, you know, maybe get into more of your background and like what led you to to where you are right now? Sure. So in a few minutes, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, no big deal. So what I do, and it's, I always tailor it depending on who's listening, but I'm just going to guess that the whole world is listening. And so what I do is I do emotional intelligence coaching for leaders, senior leaders. And my focus is actually tech leaders, but I work with all sorts of leaders really. And I really help them like with training and um, coaching personally on how to deepen their emotional intelligence. And that's really their awareness, uh, their own emotions. And that's kind of like icky and gooey to a lot of people. So we do it in a way using positive psychology, which is well-researched science-based information. And then that makes it more tangible for those sciencey people who like that. So in a nutshell, I just help people, you know, become more self-aware and like people more and be better at work. And yeah. It's not yeah, that is for everybody. Elevator pitch, but it's no, it's great. That's very moving. Oh, oh, <laughs> we like all those things. Jess and I, we love emotional intelligence. I didn't really know what it was until maybe a few years ago when we got in touch with a group that that helped. They're like, you should take an emotional intelligence assessment, Laurel, and see how you rank because it is something that you can improve over time, right? Tell, mm-hmm. tell us the difference between emotional intelligence and um, the IQ stuff. Oh, that's a great point. So IQ is a way of testing how smart you are. And that's really more of the ability of how you retain information, um, how you learn. And it's kind, it's kind of, in my opinion, kind of a skewed test for certain types of people because not everybody has that sort of intelligence. So I don't know when I'm not a, um, expert on that sort of IQ part, but really that's about how you learn and maintain information. Whereas emotional intelligence, everybody has emotions and everybody has a way of relating in this world with emotions. Now, some people are highly developed and they're able to regulate their emotions really well and stress and that sort of thing. And others aren't. And so it's really understanding what your emotions do, if you're aware of them and how they affect your decisions and other people. And we see that actually yeah. with bad leaders who can't 
regulate their emotion. They create chaos and discourse. And then with people who exhibit high emotional intelligence, we feel safe around them, you know? Yeah, because they're more aware. Yeah, I've never heard it put in that that term or like the term of like you feel safe around them. I mean, I've heard of, I guess, like psychological safety, but you're right. That is exactly what the emotional intelligence says. And I think, you know, a, a lot of us have had leaders or managers that, you know, like everyone has that one come to mind as you're talking about it, like, oh yeah, like low, low emotional intelligence, low emotional intelligence. And I was reading something recently, um, I mean, probably a year ago, and it was talking about, you know, what are the trends in, in careers? Like what's being, what skill sets do you need? What are people looking for? And emotional intelligence and soft skills was one of the top ones because they're saying that it doesn't like with AI and advances in technology, like so many things are being automated, but the soft skills, um, oh, you can't hear me. Um, okay. now I can hear you now. Great. Yeah. And just a little, you know, we're having a little, uh, you know, I don't know, Mercury and retrograde issues, communication, whatever, but we're here and <laughs> we will fill this air one way or another. I'm like, it's awesome. the same one. Yeah. <laughs> mic on, hot mic. Yeah. yeah. Mic I on. also wanted, um, I interrupted you before you were going to answer Jess's question about your background. So you're a, an expert in EI and it's incredibly needed. How did you get here and why is it so needed in the AI space and the tech space? This is really good. So I hope it doesn't, I hope I don't mute out on this. So let me know if I do. So how it all starts with one incident. It all starts with like one thing that is like the, the moment. Right. And for me, it was really starting my work life. So I had a series and I'm, I'm very, I write about this a lot. I had a series of really terrible bosses and terrible bosses are excellent because they help you understand what you don't want in a boss, right? So um, I had this one incident at work where I got a pair of used underwear from the top sales performer as an award for being the most annoying person. And <laughs> okay, so you, you can't, the listeners can't see our faces, but Jess and I are shocked right now. Please continue. <laughs> so it starts with one thing after the other of, of bad interactions, being mistreated. And then if you expand it, and I'm kind of going off piece, but if you expand it to like the world we're living in now, where you see a lot of injustices, you see how people are treated and you see how people are thinking openly or killing people. And then you go like, well, what can I do about it? Like, I'm just a person and I'm not killing them or I'm not saying this or I'm not there. But having that attitude is really uh, discouraging. So what can I do about it is that I can help people have deeper EI. So that's kind of, it, it's not necessarily the origin story, but this is how I make a difference in the world of Black Lives Matter or in the world of um, helping LGBT and non-binary and people feel accepted and heard and valued. So this is, this is really my, how I do that. And I had a company in the UK. So I lived in England for, in London for eight years. And I had a company there and I helped tech people with uh, networking and people skills and presentations. And then I came back to the States and I worked in a company that did the same thing, very similar, very big brand. You can see it on my LinkedIn. <laughs> and then, you know, at the, at the end of the day, this is, this is my baby. Like, this is my vision and this is mine. So, yeah, of course somebody can employ me. Of course I can get a job. But ultimately, this is mine alone to help bring to the world. Like, if you know, if you think about mission and purpose and vision, this is mine. So that's kind of... Why? Exactly. And, You're talking about that. I'm like, oh, this is your purpose. Like, it's like you found your calling. And and I really like that that perspective of, well, well what skill set do I have that I can bring to others that makes a difference? And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, bringing that up with like all the the issues in the world. And we talk about, like, about that a lot on here with, you know, different people and different aspects. There's like, like, where do you direct your attention? Because there's a lot of 
issues and problems going on. So where do we focus our attention best? And um, I was talking about, <laughs> are you back? Yeah, I got it. I said, where do you, say, where do you direct your attention? Yeah. And it's just like, there, there's so much going on. And so how do you pick what it is? And so I love, you know, that you're very intentional about your, you know, attention, I guess, and, and using your, your gifts to, to drive change in the world. Yes. I, I <laughs> and? <love. laughs> and yes. And I'll, I'll add just, I love that you said, um, while Diana hops back on, I love that you said gifts. Cause that is your gift. Diana is to, as a woman, especially, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Diana identifies as a female and, um, Having the confidence and the emotional intelligence to clarify your purpose in the world and step into that role and say, I'm, I'm going to support self-awareness and emotional intelligence in the tech industry. I think that that's pretty bold. I can't, and I'm also get, giggling a little bit because I'm imagining you as an American um, woman in London with these kind of like, stale British folks trying to like pep them up and like get them excited and emotional. Cause like Americans are emotional, but English folks like aren't. And I can say that cause I'm married to one, but I know I was going to say I'm, disclaimer, Laurel. Uh, disclaimer. Yeah. My in-laws are, are English and I, you're cutting out. I can't hear you again. <laughs> we are oh, sorry, Diana. Some audio issues today. The internet is, the internet was no. not letting you get your message out. What is happening? That will not be silent. I, I know. I will not be silenced. Could you hear me now? No? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. What I think but, it is, is I think we keep talking over you, and then somehow you get cut off. So we just will not talk the entire rest of the time. <laughs> just, you got 30 minutes. No. Well, no, 40. This Go. is collaborative. <laughs> okay, where do I start? <laughs> uh, but uh, there's a Pixar short called Pearl and Pearl is this little fuzzy ball of yarn in like this bro hedge fund. And I feel like that, that was me. And that's, that's okay because um, I think we're seeing a paradigm shift. And I think the more we see now with COVID, everything is remote. So we have remote environments. Well, guess what? In remote environments, you don't have people around you now. So now, if you're disengaged, you're fully disengaged. You're watching Netflix during the day, you know? So this is an opportunity for us to have a wake-up call, you know, and how we're treating people. And I'm done. <laughs> I was, like, nodding. I'm like, yeah, keep going. This is good. This is great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, too, yeah. with, like, I, I agree with the the shift and, you know, how do you, you, when you're teaching leadership skills and with people being remote and I mean, maybe in tech, this is already a thing is like getting people engaged. Like, like what are some tools that you give to leaders on engaging teams who are remote? The one tool that every leader needs that almost no leaders get. And if they do, it's very poor. There's literally just one thing they need. And it's so simple. You want to know what it is? <laughs> like, tell me. Yeah. It's feedback. It's, it's quality feedback. And the interesting thing I think that Laurel said is that you can have great EI with your peers and not great and not exhibit the same emotionally intelligent behaviors with your direct reports or your boss. So you like when I worked in finance, my boss particularly, I have three, but one really particularly disliked me. And he had his, he had his click, you know how we see clicks at work and he exhibited high amounts of EI with those people. But if I were to give feedback, it would be very different. So 
feedback is so crucial from everybody around you. And so that's like the first thing that they need. Quality feedback of the behaviors that matter and that are important to the organization. So you can say um, this behavior is important and nobody else agrees with you. And that's a part of the culture. So that's weaved into and culture starts from the top. So if you have people at the top who exhibit like unemotionally intelligent behaviors, mistreatment, um, misogyny, the opposite of misogyny, which is something else I call (laughs) chauvinism, whatever that might be, it trickles down into everyone and all the decisions and everything. And that's what we have to be careful about. And that's why feedback and the appropriate um, behaviors that matter to people is is key. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. I love it. Thank you so much because I, I think it's something that, you know, I've been in that position before where I've struggled with, and Laurel too, I know, like where we have had people remote and it's so hard to, and I don't, well, it's hard to engage. Yeah. Like when you're in an office and you get those, you know, you know, water cooler moments, whatever, happy hours, it, it's so, it's a lot easier. I think you have to put a little less effort in. And I think you have to be much more conscious and, and aware of the, and actively engage these remote team members. And, you know, when you're, when you're talking about this and the, the attitude of the leader, the, the, whatever you, I don't know, the views like permeates that culture. And, and that's something we talk a lot about is like, it comes back to self-awareness because I think so many people aren't even aware of what they're doing Mm -hmm. and it's just like numbers, revenue, like, you know, reports, metrics. And then it's like, you're getting a pair of used underwear as a reward. So like, you know, like talk about uh, the epitome of lack of self-awareness. I think uh, that's a. Uh, it's so true. It, and, you know, it's interesting because this is why we see in the news time and time again, uh, like bro culture or like that kind of frat culture that it permeates because not because that they're bad people, but they're not getting the right feedback that says, hey, when you call me babe or hun, it just doesn't feel right. Like that is not something I want. Or when you say that you don't want women on the board, you know, like that sort of critical feedback. And then the key thing is they have to want to do something about it right? Because a a company takes on its own persona after a while, and it's not necessarily the leaders, but then the collective of what they're saying is okay. And so typically when you see a company that does really well and driven by profits, they don't care about the people because the people are are expendable. And I think as we go into the future, that's, that's changing because a lot of kids go, and it's starting now more so, but they go into the work culture and they don't have to work for money necessarily because they have a YouTube channel that kicks out three, 4,000 a month, or they have an Instagram channel where they get sponsored and it pays for their life. So now how do you engage people who don't need money? Like how do you make them feel valued and, and useful? Because that money stream isn't necessarily making them feel valued and useful but they don't need your job anymore. So I think this is what we'll really come up against. I find um, it's really challenging for men and women alike when they're in a culture and something does not resonate with them or it makes them feel um, unwelcome, unsafe, unvalued, whatever it is, they see a behavior or something that they don't like. A, a practical tip, in my opinion, and I want to hear what you think is a good is good feedback. More examples of good feedback is mm-hmm. um, things like, and not an aggressive, mean, aggro way, but like, hey, we don't do that here. Like just saying something like that, or or Wait, hi, I says that. Yes, or somebody that's somebody that's feeling like this isn't a part of our culture. This isn't in alignment with our values. 
Um, you know, our leadership said not to do this behavior. And here I'm seeing somebody do this. So I'm going to call them out. Not many people um, can call others out in a loving way. And one tool that I've heard is just pulling someone aside in private and just saying, I really appreciate your engagement and enthusiasm. I want to clarify that we don't do that particular thing here what other ideas do you have to share? And I was just interested in hearing you as the expert, what are some of the practical phrases or like go-to lines that someone can use? Because in in the moment, you might be like really intense and emotional and you want to have like a list of things to say so you don't have to think about it that much. What are your what are your ideas? That's a good question because I'm not like a I'm not necessarily a script baby. I'm a more come from the heart um person who if your intention is always good. As a leader, if your intention is to grow your people and to keep a safe environment, your, your words will reflect that. So you can have a, a phrase that you say, like, yeah, um, this is not a behavior that we tolerate here. But you can hear you can say that in many ways. This is not a behavior we tolerate here. Or uh, this is not a behavior we tolerate here. You can say it in a lot of different ways. So when I think about that, you know, emotionally intelligent behavior doesn't put people on the spot and make them feel stupid. Emotionally intelligent behavior addresses the problem, yes, in front of other people, if that's, if that's needed, right? But it's really thinking about, okay, I'm feeling angry right now about this thing that I just saw. I see that this is making everybody else uncomfortable. So being able to name what you're feeling, reading the room and saying, you know what, let's pause because I think something's getting mixed up here and being able to talk about it in a way that doesn't shame people. Because let's face it, I like to think that most people are doing the best with what they have and, and we're not necessarily taught this. So if we expect everybody to be 100% all the time, that's not really realistic. But for example, if we do see bullying behavior, let's let's say this is a culture that probably is okay with that. So are you in a position to really change it? Now, if you are, and if you're a leader and it bothers you, then you are able to actually say, okay, I saw this person's behavior. Of course, the go-to is nip it in the bud and talk to them in private. That's not always possible. So then that's why, in my personal opinion, it's great to have a coach because then you can go back to your coach and say, you know, this is what I saw. I need to address this. But sometimes you need to think through things because you can't think and feel at the same time. Like it goes back and forth. But sometimes if you have an emotional reaction, you can create more damage. So did I don't know. I agree. It did. I appreciate that. It did. And I'll give, I'll give an example of how I'm improving my emotional intelligence is yay. (laughs) Thank you. I'm working on it. I, um, anger is a really easily accessible emotion for me. Just my personality type, it anger kind of lives on the surface and it's, it's really quick. Mm -hmm. So if I see an injustice, so if Mm -hmm. somebody is, is vulnerable and they're being treated poorly or somebody is a marginalized human and they're not getting the respect and they're not being heard or listened to, that type of injustice makes my blood boil. And mm-hmm. if I'm not an emotionally intelligent person or I'm not aware that anger is easily accessible to me, I might really step up, like, like too powerful step up and aggressively um, confront somebody and it actually does damage. It does the opposite of what I wanted it to do because mm-hmm. if a vulnerable or a marginalized person feel worse and the person um, who did it ashamed and then me look like a, like a nutty person. But if I, if I know that anger is easily accessible, it's not really that accessible to other people. In fact, it might do damage. Then I mm-hmm. might take a moment and go, oh, I'm feeling angry. That's because I, I feel empathy for this person that's being hurt and Mm -hmm. I feel the hurt and I feel called to address it. And so I'm going to come from that place of love Mm -hmm. instead of that place of fear. 
And mm-hmm. once I'm able to calm myself down, then the then the right words, like you said, the, the right mm-hmm. words will come out. But it's that the work, the work mm-hmm. is in recognizing, like you said, what that initial reaction feeling is mm-hmm. and acknowledging what's the deeper bit and going, okay, mm-hmm. how do I want to show up for this person? And then going from there. But people that immediately jump right in, like I was used to just like put on my boxing gloves and be like, you can't talk to her that way. And it's like, that's not going to work. Right. So uh, thank you for, for sharing. And I love it when she does it for me. <laughs> but you don't know how they're experiencing it crucially. So they could be experiencing it in a different way because they might have a relationship with this person that you don't know, or you can't understand. So using understanding your own emotion does allow you to de-trigger it in a way. So you go, I'm, but emotions aren't good or bad. Emotions help us make sense of the world, make sense of how we, who we are and how we're feeling and the experience. So this paradigm of leave your emotions at work, well, that doesn't work because the science of emotion is that something happens, like you were saying, this injustice, this event, then what happens is it hits our emotional brain. And then it says, this is either a threat or this is a reward. And then from that color, whatever that emotion is, then we take the next steps. So it's important to say, you know what? I'm feeling like this is an injustice. Maybe I should be curious about how this person is feeling right now. They might be fine. They might be, oh, I didn't notice that. Or they might say, yeah, I'm feeling hurt. You know, Um, that's important. And, you know, another thing you mentioned about anger. There's a lot of anger right now. There's a lot of like anxiety, um, depression. It's like on on the surface of so many of us. And The key with emotional intelligence is to create value, to be in a situation where you are a person who is creating value instead of creating collateral damage of like where you have to apologize to everybody because you shot your mouth off again, or maybe you said something you didn't know. And it takes courage to create value, you know? I agree. And I'll, I'll add that one way you can uh, you can create value of those raw emotions, which, as you said, are neither right nor wrong. They're there for a reason. Um, is I'll take anger for an example because I have a lot of experience with it. It's <laughs> anger. <laughs> anger is a powerful energy, right? And mm-hmm. as as leaders, we have power to transmute that energy to good, and that's the value add. Is go okay. Um, I have a lot of energy. In fact, I have more energy than most people. Like the anger is is an emotion that requires a lot of passion and fire and energy. Yeah. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. So if I can transmute that into change, conscious and, action, yes. then that's where that energy can go. Instead of fighting in an angry way, and I I made this reference earlier is like my enneagram type eight being the challenger. And anger being my guttural instinct, and it's very easy for me to assess. If I'm unhealthy, I will perform the unhealthy behaviors of Donald Trump. If I'm healthy, I behave the health, I do the healthy behaviors of Martin Luther King Jr. Both mm-hmm. have the capacity and the capability to use their anger and their mm-hmm. feelings of betrayal and injustice and power in a good, healthy way. Mm-hmm. You know, so- like I, I yeah, go ahead. Well, I think like if we just take Donald Trump for a second and he's kind of an outlier because he is and and I don't want to like go into anything political. I'm not going to. But he he is a great demonstration of not tapping in to emotions of others. And so he is in himself an outlier. Uh, a, a very great example of what happen, what can happen, what consequences are when you don't look at emotions or you don't have an emotional connection. So he is very, um, he's a brilliant example like that in many ways. But if you take somebody who's like a healthy example of being able to change, you see, for example, um, a lot of tech company CEOs, I'm not going to call out any names, but they've been kicked out for bad behavior. But that can change. If you're not like diagnosed disorder of like narcissistic, uh, 
like have anything that's diagnosable and you're, you have access to those emotions and they are created within you, you can change that. So they're just behaviors. And right? when you talk about, like, I'm thinking about these people and I feel like the people who probably most benefit from your services or someone like you working with a coach and with emotional intelligence, like, are they, how do you even become aware of it? Cause I feel like the people, there's some people who are aware and they probably need to do honestly less work and not that, I mean, we all need to do work, but I feel like, you know, I'm picturing like, you know, Wolf of Wall Street and Boiler Room, of course, are like my, like, you know, examples in my mind. I'm like, like, how do you approach that situation where the people who need it the most are, or these teams are underperforming or are burned out because they are under terrible leadership? Like, like, how do you, or how do you approach that in an organization where you're brought in to work with someone who's kind of like, I don't, they, they don't even realize they need it. And so I, typically I don't work with somebody who doesn't want to work with me. So if they say like, oh, what you do is kind of bull, it's like, okay, that's fine. Because I'm not I'm not here to convince you that right. you need emotional intelligence. Is that when, common? Like, do you uh, run into no, that? No. And, and honestly, people who, who seek what I do and who look. So it's a couple of things. You hear like, you know, I'm not seeing enough productivity or I'm not seeing people do what they need to do. It usually comes in the form of missing deadlines or uh, my team isn't communicating enough. But here's the thing. When you talk about uh, Wall Street and Boiler Room, think of culture as system. It's a system. And certain behaviors are rewarded in that system. And in that system, because I also do DISC to kind of understand who I'm talking with and their energy. So in that system, it highly rewards people who are uh, drivers. So they're task oriented and they're fast paced or they're details oriented. Those environments don't uh, reward behaviors of people orientation. So if you're going to come to me, you're going to have some element of, I want our people to be happy, or I see that there's something not quite right with our people. So you would come to me if, for example, you're an HR person and you have a person who's badly behaved and they don't know why, because they're a great technical leader, but they can't regulate their emotions or and I've, and I've had that recently where somebody was like, he's throwing stuff at meetings, but he's a leader. He's not allowed to do that in our company. So typically that's when somebody would come to me. If you're really aware and you're really woke, <laughs> you're going to be like, I want my people to be happier. I, I see we're okay, but I do want them to be more engaged and, and I want us to make more money. So we have, we have awesome studies that show emotionally intelligent leaders create highly engaged teams. So I'll say that again. So emotionally intelligent leaders create highly engaged teams. When you have a leader of average emotional intelligence, you will most likely see disengaged to extremely disengaged. Now, we also know from studies that two thirds of people who work in all corporations are disengaged. So what does that tell us? That tells us that most of our leaders are not highly engaged with or showing that emotionally intelligent behavior with the people in their environment. So there's a big need for this. And although I feel like I'm at the, the beginning of this journey globally, like, yeah, we hear about emotional intelligence, there will be a big wave because we have proof now. And somehow it's not enough to have proof that mistreatment hurts us. We need to see it in science. So now we have scientific <laughs> I'm laughing because, yeah, it's like we have to quantify all of life for it to exist somehow, for us mm -hmm. to like see it. It's like we have to put metrics associated with it. But Jess and I really believe that when you take care of your people and you take care of your environment, the profits will follow. That's like where mm -hmm. we come from. Yeah. And that's why I feel like with the Gallup studies and all those that say 67% of of workers are disengaged in America and 13% or something of those are actually miserable and miserableness, if you will, loves company and it spreads like a virus, trigger warning. 
And I, and so it seems to me like your emotional intelligence work and your coaching is of utmost importance for our economy and our business society to heal itself, to heal its economy Mm -hmm. and to heal the world. Because, um, you know, there's the principle of healing that when you heal yourself, you heal, heal the ones around you. And to Mm -hmm. Jess's point, some, sometimes people, when they're asleep at the wheel, they're asleep at the wheel. Like they don't know that they're behaving poorly. And I would say, if you feel like, if you feel Mm -hmm. like you're at work and -hmm. you're frustrated or you're sad and you're crying and those things are happening in a pattern or regularly and you're feeling like you you want to leave or you're not valued or you start to feel anxious and depressed like those sorts of feelings on a regular basis mm-hmm. then that is a signal that something is awry and mm-hmm. when someone feels that way who do they go to they go to Diana do they go to HR do the what happens when an intrapreneur, like not, not a leader in the organization, but an aspiring mm-hmm. leader, what do they do? Yeah, that's actually a good question. Uh, they leave the company. That's what they do. Because they think, oh, I, I hate this company and I hate the way they treat me and I'm just going to move to another company. That's exactly what they do. They, they very rarely do we as people even woke people think we are the problem because they go to the next company and they take themselves with themselves and they have the same exact problems. And then maybe in that company, they'll get promoted. And then maybe their company might invest in a coach and then maybe, maybe, right? So like if you have a disengaged workforce, they're going to leave. That's just what it is. And I wish, I wish, Laurel, I wish you're so wise because I, I wish everybody would call me and say like, hey, I feel really disengaged. But if your leader isn't engaging you, you being engaged isn't going to make them engage more. Does that make sense? So it really does have to come from the top down. So really you need a CTO that's compassionate. You need a CTO that is woke to the importance of being with people because tech, which is where I mainly focus, is collaborative. So you need people, you need different sets of skills, but if you're, so tech leaders and engineers, they're trained to focus on flaws and they're not trained to focus on people. So that's why I see the biggest um, need. And that's why I really focus. I work with other uh, leaders and other um, companies, that sort of thing. But that's why I see tech as being the most important because you're now, and it's it's fascinating because there was a report about why people leave tech jobs. Number one reason, they're mistreated because they're ignored and they're made to felt, feel bad. And guess what? I don't have to be here. So they go. And with so these people, that. like who are disengaged, they have, they're being led by someone who has poor emotional intelligence isn't aware enough to address it or change it. And like you said, it's like a pattern, you know, or can become a pattern. So mm-hmm. when these people are out there looking for the next thing, like what are some things, you know, when you're interviewing, let's say you're interviewing, like how could you recognize signs of emotional intelligence in a leader? Well, that's, that's a good one because uh, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> that's like a really good one. So Number one, I would say engagement. So if your leader is, if you like keep it black and white, if your leader is engaged versus disengaged, if they're disengaged, they're most likely um, exhibiting behaviors that do not make other people feel valued. That makes sense? So they're not asking. So if I feel disengaged and I hate this job, I'm not asking Laurel, how are you doing today? How's your mom? Is she okay? Because I know she was sick. I remember you said that. I'm not asking that because I don't care. Because guess what? I'm online looking for another job. So I would say engagement is the first thing. The second thing is I think companies, HR um, leaders throughout companies, they really actually have to pay attention to feedback. If you get feedback in terms of people are leaving a team, like you can't seem to, to make a team productive or people are, there's a lot of blaming. That's a great one. Blaming people. Oh, it's not me. It's them. 
Those are emotionally unintelligent behaviors. And we see that because it's accepted. It's culturally accepted to blame somebody instead of to take responsibility for what they messed up on. And it's because the system rewards that. So mm-hmm. build systems in a business, as you know, you're, build, you're building businesses. You build a system and it rewards certain behaviors. Now, if you are become aware and you start doing these feedback uh, sessions regularly, we can actually tie that to ROI. So if you invest, let's say, $20,000 in five leaders in a program, you will see that return tenfold. That's how powerful it is. Well, it's it's so great because, I mean, like when you say that, it's it's like you can take that $20,000 and you can invest it in training or you can take it and invest it in recruiting to replace all the people who are leaving. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm thinking about this and, you know, so as you're saying, like, so as an employee, you know, you're like, okay, I'm not being engaged. My leader's emotionally intelligent. You don't have the power or the leadership to do anything. And so when you're looking for the next job, so I guess if like, as a person looking for the type of leader they want to work for, like when you're in those meetings, a question to ask them is like, how do you engage your team? Yeah. Like, and so what's important that, like, to you? How, yeah. How do you check in with your team? How do you make your team feel valued? Like, what, what is something that you do personally? What behaviors or actions do you do to help make people feel valued? Because, it's, yeah, oh, like, that's a, no, it's fine. Sorry, I'm like getting excited about this because no, I've, been, too. I've done like so many interviews and on, on both sides, I guess, for that matter. But, you know, and I'm thinking, and it's like, you know, and I, what I'm looking for when I'm interviewing people is like, okay, are they engaged? Do they come with thoughtful questions? And, and, you know, sometimes there aren't a lot, there's not, I talk a lot. There's not a lot left on the table, but I think you don't know your, your boss sucks until your boss sucks. Like, and so sometimes like, especially if you're meeting with HR and everyone's, you know, it's like a first date. It's like, everyone's on their best behavior. Everything's Mm -hmm. perfect. Nothing ever goes wrong here. We're a family. And so I think I've, I've never had to, anyone asked me that, that I can think of. And asking that is like, sorry, I feel like I had a light bulb moment. You know, it's like, yeah, man, me too. Your, how, how do you engage your team? Like, I think, yeah, and, asking, and, and like asking them, this is like giving me an idea. If you're in an interview and you want to work somewhere, I would recommend asking them, okay, obviously what are your core values? How do you engage your staff? And then is the culture accepting of people like me holding you accountable to that? How can I hold hold the leadership accountable? In what ways do you have systems so mm-hmm. that so it's okay to touch base when you feel like something's out of alignment with the core values? Because we can, we can yeah. say our core values, we can say them in the interview, we mm-hmm. can give examples of how they're implemented, but mm-hmm. it stops unless you have some sort of social contract or even written agreement. Right. That right. says, I, I get to hold you accountable to that. And is that the feedback yeah. you mean? Is like, I'm able to give, I'm able to give leadership feedback and they will, they will listen and I will be heard and that will be taken on board. So the interesting thing about what you're saying, if you ask those questions, you're probably not getting the job. Isn't that, isn't that the sad truth? Because you know what? You're coming with thoughtful, like thoughtful, like I want to be here. I want to be here a long time. And then they're thinking, oh, this person's overthinking it or, and I'm happy to talk to any sort of recruiters and like talk that through with them. But my thought is most companies just want you to, for the most part, know what you're doing, but love, you love us and work with us and we'll treat you nice with benefits. So I think what you're talking about is where we are going. I don't think that's where we are now. Um, because if somebody asks you, how are you accountable? They're going to be like, I don't know. I That wasn't in my job description. Well, I think though that it's, it's an interesting point because, you know, when we talk about a recruiter, it's like, I picture this and, you know, we're talking about people interviewing. So it's like, you know, this whole, it's this whole system, right? Where you have the emotionally unintelligent, unaware leader who runs his team to the ground or her team, their team. 
And the employee, like you said, is online looking for another job. They go to another interview. They talk to the recruiter. And then there it's like, okay, you should be like interviewing for like your technical capacity or your like skill set for the job. But then when you get to the leader, the person you're going to be working for, first of all, you should be able to talk to them. If you aren't, I think that's a huge red flag. And because otherwise, like you said, it's like you're going to be stuck in the same exact position. And meanwhile, I think when you get to a place, and again, I'm talking this from an employee lens is like if someone is hiring you as a leader, as a team member, whatever, if you are mm-hmm. working directly reporting to somebody through an interview process, and if they if they bristle at these questions, that should be your red flag. And if you're like in a position where you're like, I don't care, I just need a paycheck, yeah, check the boxes. My strengths are my weaknesses. Oh, I t- work too hard. You know, sometimes I, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I say yes to everything. Yeah. 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 Which I, mean, I, oh, sometimes I just do too much. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I think that's it. And I think, you know, if you, if you are that person and you want to break this cycle, cause I'm thinking off the top of my head of like five people who are like, I hate my job. I want to go work somewhere else. And then Mm -hmm. in my mind, one person very recently I was talking to, I'm thinking the next place you're going to work for is going to be exactly the same just because of the type of industry they're in. And I had another friend um, this morning was talking about um, being Peter from Office Space. And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing because I keep doing less and I keep getting like better reviews and I don't understand. And it's so funny because it's just like, so, you know, I see these two people and one person is being very thoughtful of like, okay, well, what's the next move? Am I going to be in this position? Like, how do I do it? And the other person's like, screw it. I'm just angry. I just want to go somewhere else. And so asking these questions, like Laurel, like you're talking about and going through the thought process and, you know, like Diana, you're like, they're not going to hire you. It's like, okay, well, you may as well stay where you're at because unless you're getting a huge raise or something like that, but. Well, here's the thing. I also know. (laughs) (laughs) I also teach people how to navigate politics. Mm-hmm. And so this is interesting, how to navigate politics and get promoted um, using their emotional intelligence. So yeah, like that. that enters a third option. So you I you can it. absolutely work in a terrible company and say like, but I, I still like the company. I still like what we're doing. I like what we produce, but I want to be a leader. So you can absolutely, I'm actually working with a client right now that we're thoughtfully, intentionally, and emotionally intelligently navigating the politics so that he can be one of the main leaders on the executive board. So that's something that you can absolutely do. So just because you're emotionally intelligent, um, it's, a, it's not about being nice. It's, it's not about being uh, a walkover. I think that a lot of people might think that, like, oh, you're nice, so you're emotionally intelligent. No, it's not about that. It's about really understanding, like you were talking about, understanding, I get angry really quickly. How is that affecting my environment? How can that make my environment better? But where do I need to like stop and see how it's affecting people and how do I need to change that? So I think over time, as we educate people on emotional intelligence, they'll come to understand it. It's not just making people feel good. Because sometimes you have to make people feel uncomfortable to move. Mm-hmm. But you can certainly do that in emotionally intelligent ways without making them feel undervalued or mistreated. And I think that's where a lot of people, their parents didn't teach them that. My parents were amazing. They didn't teach me this, you know? So this is stuff we're learning as a society. And like I was saying earlier, this is how I can change and be an ally in Black Lives Matter. Or teach my kids, or you know, this is how we learn from each other to make mm-hmm. each, like the whole better. So mm-hmm. I agree, and I I think another way, or some of the practical examples of an emotionally intelligent person is, um, you know, comes from the book The Four Agreements, where you don't take anything personally, and at mm-hmm. first. I'm like, but everything is personal because we're all interconnected and I am you and you are me and everything affects everyone. So it's all personal, right? But it's it's the idea that I can be vulnerable with somebody and listen to them and and hear them and see them fully without taking on that pain and without mm-hmm. criticizing or beating myself up, um, but using it as an opportunity to come from a place of love and compassion and seeing that human being as 
oh, they're going to grow. I'm so excited for them. So it's, it's, a, it's a mindset shift. So for example, I was on the phone with someone really close in my family yesterday and she was saying, oh, I feel like I need to modify myself and make myself smaller because I'm upsetting this person that I love very much by speaking my truth. And her therapist and both me were like, no, ma'am, you are not making yourself small to accommodate someone who's struggling. But what you can do is be very clear. Hey, like I'm just thinking about in a workplace, for example. Hi, I have something um, emotionally charged I want to talk to you about. I don't want you to fix it or come with a bunch of solutions or options mm-hmm. or strategy. I just want to kind of get it out there and have you hold that space for me. Do you think you can do that for me? Are you in a, are you in a headspace where you can hold that without taking it on personally? And if that person agrees, yes, then you move forward. But if you don't have that preamble conversation where you're like, hey, I need to be heard and listened to, like I'll use me for example, I'm feeling like this is a massive injustice. I'm feeling called, like I need to address this head on. Are you in a space where you can receive that type of energy? Because mm-hmm. to be honest, not a lot of neuro systems and nerve systems can handle that energy. And I think mm-hmm. it's emotionally intelligent for someone to prep the other person and say, hey, I've got a lot of energy, a lot of emotions, a lot of concerns. Are you in a place to receive that or no? And that's a part of, so that's why I do DISC, because I like to understand, like, uh, how does this person best communicate so that I'm I'm prepping them for them, for how they speak instead of, like, me pushing myself. Because a part of emotional intelligence is authenticity. And you can have a productive state of authenticity, and you have a non-productive state of authenticity. And making yourself smaller because you're afraid of the emotion that comes up, it takes courage to be emotionally intelligent. It takes courage to be authentic. And it's a little bit messy, a little bit. And you, and if you're not okay with that, that's okay. Cause you're human. That's why I say have a coach <laughs> because sometimes, cause a therapist will dig into your history and maybe help you understand up from this point onwards, what's happened. But a coach doesn't care about what happened in the past. They're like, okay, here's the messiness of it. Where do you want to go? Like, let's take it somewhere. Let's, let's make value. Let's create value. So the other thing is I'm an active practicing Buddhist. And one of our main philosophies is to create value. So it doesn't matter in what realm you're in. So like we say, you could be in the state of hell where everything is horrible and you see injustice and people are dying around you, but you can still create value in that state. You can see people, um, you can be in the world of anger and be angry about the right things because anger allows us to take action. I mean, we can also hurt ourselves with anger, right? Because we can make ourselves sick inside if we don't take the action. But these emotions are good because they move us. Happiness is good. Kindness is good. Like those things, they move us, but it's a different energy. So we do different things with it, you know? Um, so that's that's an important part of creating value. That's why I see what what I do and, ho- and what other people who practice this do, hopefully, is that they create value for leaders. Because I, I find in my work, it's so satisfying because I have major leaders of major corporations and they're having a better home life. And what is cheaper than a divorce? Like no divorce. $5,000, $20,000 on your sanity? I know that's cheaper than a divorce. Like investing in a coach, I mean, like $20,000, yeah. whatever. It might be. That's cheaper than a divorce or having estranged kids or not speaking to family members. You know, that's so, and I think that's what we're all kind of yearning for that connection, especially with quarantine and COVID. I see this being so relevant right now. Yeah, like that is such a good, that's exactly what I had in my mind was, you know, asking you about success stories with your work. And so do you have any specific examples to share? Obviously, you know, confidentially, um, but about like a transformation or change you've seen with the clients you work with as a result of doing the work? There's so many. 
And I think the best, there's so many, and the best part about it is the transformation they expect is that they make more money, but really it's, it's the heart that changes. So they're just less angry, but you can't sell less angry. (laughs) You can't sell, Hey, you will be less angry in six months. So um, I can tell you one example that I was really proud of. Uh, So one of my um, clients, he was really struggling at work and he was really frustrated. He was in a bad place with his marriage. Um, So things had like kind of really gotten to him and he was making not great decisions at work because of where he was mentally. And so once we started working together, he was actually at odds with his boss, like super big time, like all out screaming brawls big time. And so as we started working together and he started like getting, so one of the things I do is I get people really clear on what is important to them. So where is your focus and where are you going to put your energy? Because, you know, emotional intelligence is vast. So you can't say, I'm just going to be more emotionally intelligent. It's like, what do you want for your career, your life, your, your organization, whatever that looks like for you? And then how do we work towards that? And where, what do we have to employ inside of you? So he said, he was like, I went to this meeting and last year it was an all out fist fight. There was like, it was just like really bad verbal, not fist, but, and then he said this year, I brought almost the same exact information. I delivered it really different. And it was like a Jedi mind trick. He, he was, like, oh, thank you so much for this information. He was like, and because it was so normal, it was like boring if you think about it. There was no (laughs) fights. He was like, did that really just happen? Like knowing the history of both of them, that they hated each other and that this, this guy who was the CEO just like took his exact words he said last year in just a slightly different way, he was like, I feel like I'm magic. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're like a tantric ninja. You're like, ah, I'm going to teach you how to communicate your authentic self with love. <laughs> that's my new, <laughs> that's my new logo, tantric ninja. <laughs> tantric ninja. <laughs> and, and it's so, it's amazing because, and the other thing is his wife was so happy to be, she's like, keep going, keep having a coach. Cause she doesn't have to listen to all of these conversations about who's not playing nicely with who. And she just gets her husband at home and she gets him present. Cause he's not thinking at the dinner table or not on his phone worried about things. Like he's actually present and presence is a state is a productive state of emotional intelligence. Yeah. I think that's such a good, I never thought about it I don't think I've thought about it, but as you just said it, it's that, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, go to therapy and there's issues in their home life. And then when you think about that, it's, well, what it's paradoxical, you know, it's, is the home life causing issues at work or is the work life causing issues at home? That goes back to, it's all connected. Everything's interconnected. You don't, you can't just shut off your emotions that are like in from from home to work and work to home. And so it it seems really logical that if you are, you know, in therapy outside of work for maybe, you know, family issues, that it's makes sense to have a coach for work to address any work issues that might be impacting your family or home life. Um, because yeah. like you said, like the therapist is going to focus on like the history and the past and a coach is going to focus on like changing the now and the future. And it just seems that it's, it would be really prudent to consider, to consider coaching for work if you're not already doing that, if you are, you know, in therapy for family stuff. I mean, I'm not saying. And and I don't think, I, I don't even think you need necessarily a therapist because sometimes you don't need to dig in the past. You know, bad things happen to us so that we can overcome them and show that we are stronger. You know, like there's nobody's life who is, hasn't had bad things happen. It just doesn't exist. You know, that's why creating value is important because you you could have a terrible situation in the past, but how has that created value? 
in your life? Like, what have you done about it? Like you were talking about injustice. You could have had a terrible injustice done to you. So what are you doing to fix that, to make sure? And that's, I think, where we think powerless, like, oh, but I wasn't involved with that shooting. So it's not me or I, I didn't give them the guns or I didn't, you know, but it doesn't matter because it's thinking about in our own life. It's like the, ma- the micro, the macro to the micro, right? Um, and you actually said something else that was really important. I think, Sounds I just like think it's <laughs> very important. <laughs> I think in the future, if you, if you don't have a therapist, you'll probably have a coach. Somebody, because coach, like if you think about a stage coach, it was meant to take you from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And a great coach will take you from where you are to where you want to be. Now, I'm not great that. to do that. So, well, yeah, and I, I think have, everything you're talking about, or sorry, Laurel, it's it's very it's empowering, and it gives you a sense of control. And so much of us, I mean, again, whole other podcasts about control issues, but um, I think it gives you a sense of power and control over over your future. Sorry, Laurel, I cut you off. That's, I mean, typical Jessa and Laurel fashion. That's literally what I was thinking was like the the power that comes from, yes, the power that comes from getting coached or guided or supported in conscious action and moving forward. Of course, Mm -hmm. a lot of us have childhood uh, trauma, big T, little T, that we Mm -hmm. need very specific um, therapists and modalities to break down the coping mechanisms that we've shadowed ourselves with. And then moving forward, like I live in the future. That's where my mind is. Um, and being coached in myself and having resources and support systems to focus on my physical embodiment and my, um, my emotional intelligence improved my marriage that's it. And my family of origin significantly. And I, I really want to drive it home. If, if some of this resonates with you, listeners, reach out to Diana or to yeah. uh, her soul tribe of people that do this good work because it is one of the best investments you can make on yourself. You either invest now mm-hmm. or you pay for it later. And we don't, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know if we're going to have money later. So you may as well like, take care of it now. now. Yeah. And that's, that's a brilliance about emotional intelligence. It's about productive states. You're not always going to be in a productive state because you need like a balance, right? But when you work on your emotional intelligence, you begin to become present. You begin to come, become even more authentic. You begin to breed trust. You begin to do so many things. They're priceless. In our capitalistic society, they, they're, not, they're not deemed as, oh, I can make money from that, even though it's the underlying. You give certain brands money because you trust them. I trust Target will give me a great product, so I give them money. So you, they're, they're not selling trust per se. Um, and that's a whole other episode. I was but, just thinking <laughs> that. I was like, that is <laughs> a whole other thing. But I like, love that. When you, you know, they... I don't do this particularly, but they have emotional intelligence coach for teenagers. That's a great place to start. I work with my kids on like social and emotional learning because they're still learning. Adults have the intelligence, but kids are still learning. So this is not going away. And especially what kind of gives me hope, but scares me is that our kids are on our, their phones more than, more than ever. So being on your phone more than ever does not breed the same um, situation where you're with your out with your friends talking, laughing, creating that bonding. They're creating a bonding in a very different way. So we don't shame that. We just say, okay, there's more to it. So this is very deep work. I'm, I'm hopefully not the only one in the world doing it. My spin is from using positive psychology. So we're always looking at our strengths instead of just focusing on weaknesses. How can our strengths help us grow? Or where do we need to like dial them back or ramp them up? And a marriage is uh, sometimes, not always, but a lifelong commitment. It's worth having a good one, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Just, <laughs> that is the understatement of the year. I think my my spouse would be very proud of that. It um I was not happy coming home for many years 
uh, because I would take the work with me and take it really personally and take the toxicity and I would pollute our container at home, Mm -hmm. pollute our sacred temple with with toxic words, vibes, and energy. So thank you for your for your good work. Um, I really appreciate you. I'm so grateful that Jessa and you connected. And thanks to Hera Hub for, cult- for cultivating an environment of connection where we can find these beautiful gemstones. Like you are a treasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. I, I've had a blast. And thank you for asking me like such such thoughtful questions. Yeah. Thanks. So, yeah, we'll close it out with our, our three-point landing or three key takeaways for our listeners today. Okay, so our three points, if I have to say three, is one, if you are a leader and you work in any company, whether you're um, an HR leader or you have your own company, CTO, CIO, CFO, whatever title you might have, get a coach because true professionals have a coach. Tiger Woods had a coach. All the people who won championships, they had coaches. Coaches allow you to give really safe space to think of ideas, brainstorm, talk about things you're not sure about. And a great coach will get you from good to good to extraordinary. So that's number one. So get a coach. Number two, if you're an aspiring leader and you're not there yet, start to really intentionally work on your emotional intelligence. Find out what that means for you. Uh, find out uh, where you need to start. Read a book. Look at a um, an article. You know, there's loads of things written. And then the third, my third point is, if you don't know where to start, let's talk, because this is important work. This is important for our society, for ourselves, for everything. So if you don't know where to talk, and maybe I can't help you, but maybe I can, I'll give you a starting point a starting point at least. So that's my three points. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. We will talk again soon and send it, Jessa. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Orion Podcast. If you're looking for a thoughtful gift for yourself or others, shop ethical jewelry with a story at article22.com. Enjoy 10% off qualifying purchases with promo code ORION10. That's www.article22.com and code ORION10. Enjoy!